in 2016, uh, I disagreed with many people who were saying that the ANC was going to lose uh, uh, the city of Chwane and that they were going to lose the Joburg a metro and uh, many of the pollsters came out and they predicted this kind of thing and I was like ah even if uh, people didn't want Togo Didiza in uh, Pretoria that it wouldn't be enough for the ANC to lose uh, uh, in that uh, particular city uh, which uh, they've always really received a strong following from and yet it happened and so uh, I'm wondering here whether or not uh, uh, the likes of Ipsos and uh, many others uh, uh, are probably seeing more in the crystal ball than many of us do. And I'm joined here in studio by Mary Harris. She's the Director of Public Affairs at Ipsos South Africa. Also joined on the line all the way out at Teguini by Ukuteni uh, Lukwanangumguni. And uh, he's a political analyst. And uh, uh, good evening, Mary. And Kuteni, uh, good evening to you as well, my brother. Hello, Ibonga. It's great to be no, here. No, 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 Good to be with you on your new home. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Mary, let me start off with you, and I'll come back to you, uh, uh, Lukwana. You, you put this poll out, and uh, it certainly did generate a lot of interest. Uh, I saw a lot of reportage after you put out this particular poll, uh, and uh, many, certainly in the ANC, you know, breathed a sigh of relief because many people had been panting that you're going to go sub-60 or even around 55. And uh, in this particular poll, uh, it certainly uh, had a glowing outcome for them. And uh, even uh, for those clad in red overalls, uh, the EFF, uh, they certainly also uh, took uh, some uh, some uh, happiness from this particular poll. And I'm interested, Mary, how do you put this poll together? How many people do you speak to uh, and uh, over what length of time? Okay. It's actually quite a complicated question, mm. so I might take some time to explain. No, but go I'll, ahead. I'll try and do it as as clearly as possible. Mm. We don't do these type of studies only when there are elections. We do the studies every six months of every year. So, um, and obviously in election years, we do more of these regular, huge, big studies. We interview 3,500 to 5,000. 3,600 people at the stage. Now, a lot of people say to me, how on earth can 3,500 people tell you how South Africans will be able to vote? And I say to you, it is a little bit like your cup of coffee. You look at your cup of coffee, you put your milk in, you put your sugar in, you stir it a lot, you take a sip out of your cup of coffee. And the sample is like that sip out of the cup of coffee. The cup of coffee is the universe, it's the whole. So that is everybody in South Africa who's an adult, is the universe. Or you can say everybody 18 years and older, if you want to do that particular split, you can. And then your sip out of this cup of coffee tells you how your coffee tastes. So the sample we use tells us how South Africans think and feel. But it's very, very important. It is actually uh, not a complicated science, but it is. there's a lot of scientific methodologies involved. We do area stratified sampling. In other words, if a province has, say, 10% of the voters in the country, it will get 10% of the interviews. If it has 5% of the voters in the country, it will get 5% mm. of the interviews. We do a slight disproportionate sampling when it comes to the Northern Cape because it's only 2% of the population. Now, if we only do 20 interviews there, you can say nothing about mm. that. So the, the whole thing comes in here that you need to look at what analysis you have to do and what you want to do. So your analysis, say for instance, I want to look at the provinces. I, in every province, we have to do enough interviews 
to tell me what is going on in that particular province. We'll choose, I said, by province and then within the province by community size, which means metro city, large town, small town, village and rural area and even into deep rural areas. The interviews are done face to face in the homes of the respondents and in their home language. And uh, for the question about political parties, they get a ballot paper that they mark themselves and give it back to the interviewer. Mm. So it's sort of, it's like a secret sure. vote. In the end, we land up with still about 11% of people who don't want to tell us who they will vote for. Mm. And that's where the other complicating factor comes in. Because there's about 38 million um, South Africans who are 18 years and older. Now, I wish you could see me here in the studio. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> giving, so so giving Mary's hand expanding signs. her hands. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, think about um, a funnel. Okay. So, there are 38 million South African adults who are 18 years and older. Of those, only 27 point, uh, no, yeah, 27.4% 27.4 million are registered. Um, in other words, there's about 10 million who never went to register. Mm. They cannot vote. Of that 27 million, or almost 28 million, all of them are not going to vote. They, they just don't. Say we lose another 10 million. Then we have in the end about 17 million South Africans who decide for everybody what the government will be in the end. And the trick is to get to that 17 million mm. who in the end have a desire to vote, who have a likelihood to vote. And who are eligible who, to vote. Yeah. And we are eligible to vote. And we actually check their um, ID, uh, ID books. Mm. So as I say, it's a, b a bit of a long process. Um, the field work takes about four weeks. Sure, sure. Okay, so Mary, outlining the process there, and uh, uh, would love to hear from you. Uh, so uh, do uh, send through those tweets on uh, at uh, Metro FM uh, SA. You can use the hashtag Metro uh, Talk, and uh, also do let us know, of course, uh, what uh, you make about the predictive power of many of these uh, polls. I'm also joined on the line by Lukwan Amguni, a political analyst, uh, joining us all the way out from Eteguin, and I'm going to reach out to Kuteni uh, in the, the next few moments uh, just to get his uh, sense as well. And uh, let's uh, take this brief break, and on the other side, uh, I'm going to catch up with uh, Lukona Mgun. Now, Mary, before I go to Lukona, I'm quite interested uh, because I guess the one question that you pose is that who would you vote for if indeed you had to vote today? And you simulate that, you give people a ballot and they fill it out and uh, they give it back to you. What other questions do you ask? Well, we actually ask quite a lot of other questions. We ask people how they feel about the living situation of their family. How do they think it will be in a year's time? We ask them questions about race relations. We ask them questions about the standards in the country. We ask them questions about um, whether they think the country is going in the right or the wrong direction. And this question, right and wrong direction, is really an ex excellent indicator of things to happen. Um, I can share some of the results with you when mm. you want to talk about that perhaps. We ask them what they think of different political leaders. We ask them different things like um, this statement, for instance, uh, there's no political party that represent my views. Mm. And 38% of South Africans who are registered to vote are saying there's no political party that represents their views. So there's actually quite a lot of people 
that are uncertain. Hmm. But if they are forced to make a decision, they will make a decision. So you can't just go on the the raw results sure. you get back. You need to do some mathematical mm. modeling yeah. afterwards. Kudeli, let me bring you in here, my brother. Um, and I'd be interested to hear from you, certainly in your own experience. Uh, and even if we take from 2009 elections, uh, 2014 elections, uh, or actually 2009 uh, national elections, 2011 local government, and then uh, 2014 uh, uh, national and 2016 local government elections, from your perspective, what do you think has been really the predictive power of some of the polls that we've seen here? Not only the Ipsos one, but we also know there's other organizations that put polls like this out as well. No, certainly. Um, what I've found out, Batana, um, is that, you know, closer to the election day, the polls that come out, particularly the face-to-face interview polls, start to shape up towards some level of uh, likelihood of what the electoral outcome is going to be. I mean, you talk about these years. Uh, I think uh, when we spoke earlier today, I said to you, uh, you know, in 2016, you said, losing both Johannesburg and Sunny. And the, and, the, and the difference between feelings and research at times, because polls are a form of research, whether we can spend time on the methodological issues, the sampling. Uh, how do you ensure that there isn't some unseen selection bias mm. in terms of uh, randomly ending up uh, in strongholds of a particular political party? You don't know that as the researcher uh, but because you trust the method that you've used and yet it has randomly placed you in strongholds uh, coincidentally of one political party. How do you make sure that you, you, you put some politics into it at the level of sampling initially? Um, but the, the reality is that between feelings and research, there's always going to be a difference. And that's why so many people were quite, um, in fact, saying that there was a campaign going on by the polls and a particular channel that was carrying um, certain research from one organization uh, religiously. And, you know, eventually the outcomes were quite closer to the prediction um, of those polls in terms of what happened to the metros, particularly Tuane and Johannesburg. Mm. Now, I, 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 so, so I'm saying um, we, we, we've got to appreciate the polls and, and, and give them space, but we've got to scrutinize. I always try and look at the, at the, at the methodology. Uh, telephonic surveys are usually uh, suspect, particularly because where do you get the universe of the numbers, firstly, that you are dealing with? And hey, how, well, if you're Muslim, uh, my money, my brother, you're clearly going to get it somewhere, right? <laughs> well, you've got to find it somewhere, but luckily he hasn't found mine, so please don't give it to him. Well, I don't get those calls. Hey. <laughs> um, so, 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 so all I'm saying is that the predictive power of some of the polling agencies has rested, one, on longevity. How long have they been in the game and mm. how are they crafting and renewing and improving their tools? So poll, polling houses that have been there for much longer are most likely to craft and refine their tools of research more than uh, polling houses that have just recently emerged and don't have the right data frames in terms of collecting of collecting data and going there. And I like the question that you asked. What other questions do you ask? And at what point do you get to the ballot? Uh, would be an interesting thing for me to hear from Mary. Mm. Because um, at times, if, if the ballot comes too late into the conversation, the person is already feeling that they are being interrogated in a particular way. Uh, there used to be a story... Um, when I came down to live here in KZN in, in the last few years, 
Uh, some people used to tell me that in the 90s to the early 2000s, um, some people would answer depending on the age of the interviewer. Hmm. So if it's a younger person, they would associate them with a particular political party and probably feel I am safer to answer in this way. Uh, so it's also that thing in communities, and you know, okay, then there would have been conflict, political sure. conflict. Sure. So in communities like that, how do you select your researchers? Are they locals who might hmm. know the answers that people gave and use them once the survey house is done? You bring in new people who are unknown to the locals and the locals aren't willing to talk to strangers. It's all the nitty-gritties that you have to work with. And I suppose all these things get catered for. Most polling houses will give you a margin of error. And if the margin of error for me is more than 5%, I don't trust that study because, I mean, it's just too wide. Uh, if you're, if a person is giving you a margin of error of about 2 to 4%, yeah, I can work with that. Okay. Mary, your margin for error? Between 0.7 and 1.65. And, and, I mean, I guess the other question that uh, Lukona is is raising here is the sequence of the Mm. questions and, of course, of the handing over of the ballot. Uh, And I want to overlay another question on that, which is when when you ask the questions that sit outside of the selection of party A versus party B, how much of the policy issues emerge in the conversation where someone responds and says none of the parties represent me do they say that because maybe i just don't like i guess the ifp or i don't like uh, the eff Uh, or is it a matter of saying the policy platform or the policy program of the ifp or the eff doesn't align with my own Mm. moral or whatever views i i think uh the best way to explain this is that, uh, and Lukwana will know this well, we use a technique almost like a hurdler running the 400-meter hurdles. You you go over hurdle after hurdle, and the last one is usually the most difficult one. Um, we ask a few questions. Then when we have established some rapport, it's usually after, I think it's question number eight or nine on this particular sequence. That is the um, question about which party would you vote for. But, but by that time, you have already given a few answers about your life, about what you want from life, about how you feel about policies in the country and so on. So there's some rapport established between you and the interviewer. You also have asked this interviewer already what um, whether they would share their household income with you. You have given mm. them the computer to <coughs> fill it in. So, and 92% of South Africans have cell phones. So we are quite good with, with um, technology mm. as, as far as that's concerned. So the person is not um, in a in a pressured situation. And that is why we do it. That there's a few questions before the question of who would you vote for. Mm. Now the question of who would you vote for is is phrased in a particular way. It is which political party or organization would you vote for if there were an election tomorrow? And I think that is extremely important because a poll is only true for the time of field work. Mm. I mean, what we found in February is not going to be true in May. Sure. Um, we have another study in the field, and obviously we will come out uh, with a prediction closer mm. to the election. Um, anything you do like three months before an election can't really be a prediction. This is the view. This is what people think at mm. this stage. Mm. It's not. I'm not putting my head on a block and say, this is my last prediction about this already. And um, the, uh, ext- 
extremely right when he says it's so important to do interviews face-to-face if you really want to get to the nitty-gritty of what people say and feel. You need to send interviewers who not necessarily come from that same area, but who would blend in. So in the sense that um, if somebody goes and interviews in rural KwaZulu-Natal, um, in a very remote village, the, peop- the interviewers won't dress like city people. You know, they need to blend in. Uh. They need to go to the headman and ask him whether they, they are allowed mm. to work in so his So like area. mannerisms, etiquette, protocol, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you yeah. have to observe all uh, those things. Yeah. Um, therefore, it's not simple in and out sure, thing. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. Kuten, let me bring you in here. You know, I'm quite interested in how, you know, data and polls like this then influence campaign strategy within a political organization. I mean, we were talking earlier on about uh, Cyril Ramaphosa and the ANC on a charm offensive to try and extend an olive branch to what they uh, term white compatriots. Uh, And uh, one would think that some (coughs) bright spark in the campaign team of the ANC has said, hey, clearly we're seeing in the news cycle that many are saying that uh, what's going to swing the vote in our favor here is the white vote and therefore we need to reach out to the white community or whoever represents them uh, and not all of those challenges notwithstanding how do these things filter into into the strategy and in, into how political organizations prepare themselves for the polls and uh, even of course as they come periodically uh, uh, for the work that they do day to day well of course uh, political parties and i'm sure uh, mary would confirm this because I think some political parties do commission Ipsos. So political parties uh, sort of do a two-pronged strategy. (coughs) Uh, They rely on what is said, whether it's by Ipsos, the South African Institute of Race Relations, and other uh, other polling houses, and then they look at that. But then they also at times um, ask for internal polling Mm. within their organization and their members. Because remember, when you are going to an election, you've got to make sure that your soldiers on the ground are moving a pace with you in the same tone, in the same pace, and in the same manner that you want. But you then want to gauge, is there any apathy from within now, from the people that I trust, one, who are members, second layer, the people that ordinarily support the ANC, or the DA, or the EFF, or the well, when I say ordinary, and I'm talking about the parties that have existed, and then you've got new kids on the block, like your ATM, your ACM, your ATA, and your good, mm. and your so on, mm. they too might want polls done on to understand their own base, outside of the many other questions. So they would frame the questionnaire that a Mary or anyone else would use in a particular way because they are interested in specific questions that they want some level of insights on where are my core constituencies, which provinces are my strongest at, and all of that. And then they will use that to deploy their resources. Um, and of course, part uh, in terms of the example you give of President Ramaphosa, it's also partly a discourse issue. So you will see a level of movement. Um, there are people who have openly um, in the a group of white compatriots. I, don't, I really don't know what that means, but uh, let's work with it because that's what the movement has given us. Um, and so, so if you look at someone who's a 
columnist on News 24, like Melanie. Melanie has been very positive about the president and the new dawn. But she wrote, you know, an, an article with the F word about two weeks ago when the AMC's uh, national list uh, was published to say, but how can you have so many people from the 2014 cabinet of Jacob Zuma? Mm. Uh, literally, you've minus, uh, some have died, and then you've minus only three who have retired. So she was complaining to say, but this new dawn, I'm not seeing it, and, you know, I've been backing it. So uh, also it's a discourse issue. So the AMC might have been watching and saying, well, the discourse among white conductors is quite favorable. And, of course, uh, we talk privilege, we talk economic power, we talk possibility for alliances and possibilities for funding. Uh, electoral resources, yes, funding, mm-hmm. uh, donations in kind and all of that. So it's important to go there. And, of course, Ramaphosa is a businessman um, and interacts with the, 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 the captains of industry. Uh, he's in the top 15 of the richest people in the country. And so in that cycle, it's a white-dominated circle, and he probably listens to his uh, fellow business moguls mm. and then decides that the ANC must do something in that respect. So I think political parties take a, a, a much broader strategy yeah. outside just the polls, but they definitely also look from within and sure. ask for those internal polls. And of course, some, as you know, leak, um, for example, um, the, there was once a DA poll that leaked last year already in terms of what would be their prospects mm. uh, on these elections. And it seems the polls are starting, you know, to be within what they were saying. Yeah. And, and then so then that will influence as well how they become stern on certain issues, as you would have seen, that my money didn't retract, and he was quite bold. It was a, it was a, it was a publication like that earlier, and he was quite mm. bold in a meeting for the first time uh, on the question of race, and that's because probably he knows he doesn't touch on that critically and crucial, and is given the space to touch on it when he campaigns, uh, it will translate in the Democratic Alliance losing vote. So I think there's discourse, there's mm. polling, which is external, there's internal, and then, of course, uh, just an overall assessment. That's sure, sure. Last one, just as we wrap, Mary... Uh, Uh, Let me start off with you here. When we look at the data that's coming out, we look at the public discourse and the tenor of the public conversation as we approach uh, uh, the 8th of May. It's uh, just a month off from Mm -hmm. now. Um, What do you think, certainly for, and and maybe we can categorize it as this, right? Uh, From a class perspective and even from a spatial distribution perspective, urban and rural, what do you think are going to be some of the apex and main issues uh, that this election is going to be fought over? I think um, one of the mo- the most important issues is going to be load shedding, and that is a bigger issue in metropolitan and in urban areas than in rural areas. Mm. For rural areas, issues like um, water, sanitation, services, um, jobs, those things, and are always at the top. Sure. For the country as a whole, by the way, jobs has been at the top of the list for 25 years. Mm. Um, the other big thing, I think, is about the ANC lists. Mm. We did refer to that already. And then some of the information that's coming out. You know, there's always different sources of information coming out. The whole story about Ismakashule, that that might blow up. Um, the fights or the d- disagreement between Jesse Duarte and the journalist from ENCA is probably a story, not the biggest story, but a story if you look at it together with all the other rumblings sure. in the ANC. And then I think the election itself, voter turnout, mm. will be the biggest driving issue. Okay. Good then. Well, 
Um, just, I mean, I, I, I agree on a number of the places Mary has canvassed, but it's safe to say I got home in my rural village in Flagstaff uh, two weeks ago and my grandparents were extremely annoyed with load shedding because they were like, no, 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 this thing is spoiling our lives. Mm-hmm. So I think even even in that space, uh, what, what I think we, we in our differentiation of rural and urban, by the way, um, it's just that the rural vote is moving from a higher base that has traditionally been ANC. But if yes. you look at the 2016 mm. local government election, there's been massive, massive slicing of the yeah. ANC votes. And I think there is a shift there. And some of the issues between rural and urban, because of the information divide, also starting to sort of, you know, not be as wide as it used to be. Um, people are starting to move a pace on same and similar issues. Um, of course, uh, in the rural space, people will be saying, we've got the land, but we're not using it. And government came, they plowed one season, they didn't the next, and they have affected our productivity and our yields. And so you, 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 you'll get that discussed there. But I think on the broad stroke issues of corruption, issues of uh, leadership that doesn't seem certain that it has a grasp on the issues that society is dealing with and they can be trusted to solve them, uh, issues that our politicians are noisemakers and are not deeply rooted in finding solutions and charting a way for social engineering. I think that is starting for me to strike across the divide. And mm-hmm. as I interact with people, people are starting to say politicians are not giving us issues in this election. In as much as we, as the observers of the political landscape, can talk about what should be the issues, what I mm. find very lacking in this election is some level of narrative around issues. There Mm. isn't an issue that I can say politicians are focused on and that's their bone of contention. It's just not there. It's quite a dull election for me, in actual fact. The point that I've come to think, um, in terms of issues, it might not be, I think, probably personalities, lists, who is there, do people have a sense of trust, uh, in the people that are being proposed by the various political parties, uh, do they uh, resonate with some of the sound bites that they make? I think that is going to be around the crux of the election. Mm. Mary, thank you so much. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, Mary Harris, Director of uh, Public Affairs at Ipsos South Africa. Uh, political analyst uh, uh, joining us all the way out uh, from uh, UKZN. Uh,